Today you're ready to get into the Word? Say yes. So in the last seven, I think it's eight days now, uh, in the last eight days I preached 13 times. I was in Costa Rica and then at Christ for the Nations this last week, beautiful student body. Mm. And then yesterday and last night I was, uh, I was um, in Kentucky and it was awesome. Uh, ministering to pastors and leaders of churches, and uh, just phenomenal. Got in last night late because we had to be diverted because of the storm that was happening around the 6 o'clock hour, and so got in late, but we knew weeks ago that, uh, that this was going to be a critical service for what God was trying to do. And so it was then and there, knowing that I would probably be a little exhausted, that we planned to have Pastor Jonathan Pena bring you the word today. Now... Pastor Jonathan and I worked that word all last week. The Lord spoke to him, gave him a good solid word, and we worked through it together. And I'm telling you, he preached it to me. I preached it back to him. We got the word of the Lord for you today. And without any further ado, I'm ready to receive from Pastor Jonathan as he brings the word. Would you give Pastor Jonathan Pena a great round of applause as he comes? Come on. And on Pastor Adam's birthday, come on, yes. Come on, PA, you make, uh, you make aging looking easy, my friend. And so I've known Pastor Adam, <laughs> easy on the eyes. I've known Pastor Adam for 14 years. I met, I met Pastor Adam when I was a senior in high school, and uh, I'd, never, uh, I'd never seen anybody preach the gospel like that, never seen young people worship like they did. And uh, I grew up in the church, and, and I knew I was missing something. I went there, I was like, oh, my gosh, these people are on fire for the Lord. And so I got around Pastor Adam. He's like, bro, you need to get uh, the devil cast out of you full of the Holy Ghost and, uh, and acting right. And I said, okay. And so here we are 14 years later. I got the Holy Ghost. I'm acting right. And so, uh, so it's, uh, we're, it's still a work in progress, but we're making it happen. And so, uh, so happy birthday, Pastor Adam. Thank you so much. Spiritual father, pastor, friend. All of the above. And so what an honor it is to be sharing with you guys this morning. For those of you who don't know, I am the youth pastor here at Church on the Hill. I have the pleasure. Yeah. We got our, our youth sitting over here. Come on. I got the, the honor and the pleasure of uh, ministering to your young people. And, uh, and so just to give you a background of who I am and uh, just a little so we can get to know each other. I just celebrated 10 years of marriage on January 6th. So I got, a, I got a decade under my belt of marriage, and uh, my wife is beautiful, and together we, uh, we minister here to the young people. And, uh, and then right before that, we, we took a retreat with all of our leaders uh, for the youth ministry, vision cast for the future of what 2017 will look like. And, and uh, you probably don't know this, but our youth ministry isn't led by parents. It's not led by, by you know, college students. It is a great mixture of student leaders who, uh, who are right in high school and, and young adults. And we empower those student leaders to take, uh, to take ownership over certain aspects of our ministry. And then we also challenge them to take spiritual responsibility for their sphere of influence. It, it's kind of weird for me to go to school and invite kids over to my house to come eat. And you know, hey, let's come hang out on a Friday night. You know, that just looks strange on a public school campus, you know. And so what will end up happening is I will have uh, a jail ministry of some sort as they put me and they make me register some kind of weird offender guy. But that's not me at all. So it, it, I'm trying to teach my students that if they can get it through their head, that they are the only hope that, that their friends can have possibly, that the American high school is the greatest mission field that we have in the United States of America, that if I can get them to say, hey, look, if I can win my friend to Jesus, 
then he can win his friend to Jesus. And so what happens is, is if I, they lock them up together for eight hours a day. I tell them this, like, hey, look, for eight hours a day, you have to hang out with each other. They make you sit in algebra together. They even make you have lunch together. And so come on, man, if I can convince you to tell your friends for Jesus, there's no stopping you. And so we, we do that. We have all of our students take ownership of our, of our ministry, and uh, we love that. So the end of uh, December, beginning of January, we got together. We forecasted what 2017 was going to look like. And let me tell you something. We got some great things in store for your young people. And, uh, and then I got two kids, Anaya and Uzziah, who were four and seven. Yep. And so I'm, I'm of Mexican descent, and my wife is Guatemalan, and, uh, and so we got, a, we got a mixture of some great-looking Latin babies, and they have Hebrew names, and so they're going to be all confused when they get older, as they, you know, Dad, if you're Mexican, Mom's Guatemalan, why do we have Hebrew names? Because we love Jesus. And so Anaya and Uzziah are their names, and uh, they're four and seven, and for Christmas, they got some fishing gear, and, uh, and so I love to hunt and fish, and so for Christmas, we got them a little bit of fishing gear, and we got any fishermen in the, in the in the, the place tonight, this morning, yeah, okay, a few people, for those of you who don't like to fish, you need to get delivered, and we need to get you out on the lake, and so, <clears throat> there's a reason why Jesus called fishermen, there's a reason for it, come on, and so they got, they got fishing gear, and uh, yesterday, my parents, they, they called, and they said, hey, can we take the kids out fishing to a friend's property, I said, absolutely, they said, you need to prepare, and, uh, and so we'll just take the kids off your hands for you guys, and I said, man, that's awesome, and so I got all my kids' stuff together, and if you've ever been fishing, you always leave with such optimism, right, when you go fishing, you never plan on not catching anything. You always plan on catching everything, right? And so, and so they're all getting excited. I'm getting the, the fishing poles together and the tackle boxes together, and they're super excited. And my son, if I tell him, buddy, we're going to McDonald's, then we're going to the bank, and then we're going to Target, it better happen in that order or else he'll flip out. He's only four, but he's like, Dad, the pattern, right? And so I, I had to sit him down. I was like, son, look, you're going to go fishing. Dad, I'm so excited. You know, he's doing his little dance. I was like, yeah, buddy, you're going to go fishing. You might not catch a fish. No, Dad, we're catching fish because when you go fishing, you catch fish. No, buddy, when you go fishing, you might not catch a fish, right? And so I'm preparing him early for the disappointment because I don't want him out there flailing and falling into the water or him just wanting to get a fish so bad he just jumps in to get them. So I'm trying to prepare him for this, right? And so we all know that disappointment sometimes comes, you know, when you're out in the middle of it and, and everything's happening. So they're going. They're going fishing, and, uh, and so Papa and Gamma are, are getting everything ready, and the kids are all strapped in the car, ready to go, and, uh, and so they're sitting there, and my dad is grabbing one last thing, and, and you know, a real fisherman has his special lure, or the stanky bait, right? And so, so my dad's going in to go get something, and, and he's coming back out, and my mom's telling him as she's walking out the door, hey, don't forget to lock the door on your way out, and as she goes to step outside their house, they had a step, and she goes and falls right off the step, and hits her face on the concrete, busts her knee all up, and so before fishing ever began for my kids they were already disappointed and so they so I was like buddy I told you you might not catch a fish today they didn't even get a place to go wet a hook and so I grew up fishing and I and I love it so much I, I love to fish and uh, and as a kid that's what I wanted to do every weekend and, and my dad me and my dad grew up doing stuff like that and this one Saturday we, we were uh cleaning the yard how many of you guys ever do that like you got to get out there and do yard work boy it's Saturday and it's like oh lord here we go and so I'm probably 10 years old and we're out there doing yard work and it's like dad can we please go fishing and he said, son, once we're done with all of our yard work, then we'll go. And I was like, yes, sir. So we're, we're cutting the grass. I'm edging, blowing, sweeping up all the grass clippings, all of that stuff. And, uh, and I said, dad, can we go? He's like, we're almost done. We still got time. He says, what I need you to do is now is go collect some crickets. 
I was like, you got it. So I get a bucket, and I'm capturing all these crickets, my sister and I, and we got all these, these crickets in this bucket, and we get done. And, uh, and at the end of it all, I said, Dad, does it look good? Can we go fishing now? He looks at me and says, we can go fishing. And so I was like, yes. And so I, I asked him, where are we going, Dad? And he's like, all fishermen say this too. I got the spot, right? And I was like, okay, the spot. This sounds so mysterious, but I want to go there, right? And I'm thinking like the spot is like where the fish live. Like this is where they, they are, and then they disperse them to different lakes. I'm thinking like, man, this is the spot, right? And so he's like, we're going to the spot. And so we get, we get loaded up in the truck, and we got all of our gear. And with kids, it's way different than going to fishing by yourself, right? With me, it's like grab some water boots and my fishing pole and my tackle box and go in a bottle of water. But with kids, you want to make them be comfortable and have them enjoy it. So we got an umbrella. We got chairs. You got three different kinds of snacks. You got juice, right? And so we got all of this stuff. And so we're headed out the room for like maybe 45 minutes of fishing. And so we park, and we pull into the parking lot. There's not a lot of cars there, and uh, there's this big bridge, and he's like, you know, we, we got we to gotta cross the bridge to get to where we're going. We're going to go fish, and this is fisherman term. When, you know, you're dealing with a widow fisherman when he starts talking like this. We're going to go hit that cove. Look at that cove over there. Look how still that water is. Man, look at that. It looks real fishy right over there. He's like, Dad, I don't see any fish over there. There's no fish. He's like, we're going to go hit that peninsula and work that bank. He said, we're going to work that lure, work that bank. I was like, Dad, that sounds weird, but okay, I'm going to go do that. If that's where the fish live, that's where I want to go. And so we, we, get on, we, we get out of the truck, and we head out all over this bridge. And as we're walking on this bridge, I'm, I'm balancing on this little beam thing. My, me and my sister, she's on the opposite side. We're walking on this beam. And as I'm walking over for about I don't know, a couple minutes, I realize, Dad, this is train tracks. He's like, I know. I'm like, you know? He's like, yeah. I said, well, what if a train comes? He's like, oh, no, son. Trains don't use this anymore. I said, okay. And how many of you guys know when your dad tells you something, you believe it? Because he, he's supposed to not be a liar, right? He's supposed to tell you the truth and guide you in the right way to go. And yeah. And so I was like, okay, dad. So we're walking, and all of a sudden we hear the wind start blowing really hard. So I turn around and I look. There's a stinking train coming. It's like, dad, there's no way. You said it was not abandoned. And he's like, oh, we got to go. Sorry. So we start walking faster, right? And the trains come, we're loaded down, you know, umbrella, chairs, tackle box, snacks, you know. And so, and so we're loaded down. And so he's like, oh, no, we got to go. We got to run. And so we start running. I'll start crying. <laughs> and we're crying. My sister's crying. And, and my mom, it, my mom was so protective of me and my sister when it came to my dad. My dad would forget his wallet everywhere. He'd pay for gas and leave his wallet there. You know, he, he would just leave the keys in the door of the house at night when he would get in there. He would open the house, leave the keys in there and go to bed. I was like... The keys were in the door. He'd be waking up in the morning looking for his keys, and there they'd be in the door. And so my mom would put this, this little thing in our front pocket. Mijito, come here. Yes, ma'am? Look, I'm putting your name, your phone number, and your address. I'll put it right here. And I say, yes, ma'am. If you get lost or your dad leaves you, you go find the man. And the man was some ominous. I didn't know who the man was, you know. But I, I figured if, if I needed him, I would know who he was. He's like... You go find the man, and you give him this, and he will bring you back to me. And I said, okay. And so, and so I'm, I'm thinking as I'm running away from this train, this locomotive thing that is running towards us quickly, as I'm running away from this thing, mom's going to kill dad. I'm not going to have any more dad. And so we're running as fast as we can. And, and it gets to that moment where you have to make a decision. Like, look, we're either going to get pummeled by the train or we're going to have to jump off this bridge. And so as we're running, he's like, you see that space over there? And we're looking, yeah, 
if it gets too close, you just stand over there and throw everything off the edge. And I was like, okay, because we didn't have life jackets. And so, and so we're looking at about this foot and a half width of space that is supposed to be how we're supposed to survive when, not if, when this train passes us, right? And so, and so we're running, we're running, and, and we're screaming and crying, and, and ah, it's just that, that moment of sheer panic, right? And, and from the other side of the bank where these, where these people are fishing, obviously they knew about the spot as well. And so they see us. And they come running, and they come grab all of the gear that we have. And we make it across, and we're all huddled together crying. This near-death experience, I love you, son. I don't know if I love you, Dad. And so we're having this moment together. And, he, and, and then it's that awkward, you know, silence. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and my dad looks at us. He's like, all right, you guys ready to start fishing? I'm like, No! No, we're not ready to start fishing. We want to go home, you know. Yeah, we want to go home, me and my sister. And so that's like, look, you guys don't want to fish? Come on. We, we got all this stuff together. Here's some juice. I don't want juice, right? You know there's a problem when juice and snacks don't work. You're like, dude, it's over. We can't fix this. And so, and so he's like, okay, we're, we're, we're done then. And I was like, yeah, we want to go back home. He said, okay. Well, we got to get back to the truck. And he's like, yeah. He's like, well, we have to cross the bridge again. And so I was like, no, we don't want to cross the bridge. So, so we walked across that bridge. He's like, Dad, you sure there's no more trains? I still got trust issues. He's like, Dad, you, still, you sure there's no more trains? He's like, there's no more trains, son. So it took us 45 minutes to cross that bridge again, make sure there's no more trains. But today we're talking about disappointment. Look to, the, look to your neighbor and say, disappointment. Man, disappointment can strike no matter what. It doesn't matter how hard you've tried to do something. It doesn't matter if you've done every single thing right. It doesn't matter what expectation you have. Disappointment can strike you at any moment. And this is the definition of disappointment. This is what disappointment is. It is the feeling of sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. The displeasure or sadness that comes from your expectation, you setting your expectation here and something not meeting that. And it, is, it is the feeling of you setting your hopes and dreams up here and things not happening the exact way you imagined. And all of a sudden, disappointment has you. In Romans 8, 28, and this is going to be our key scripture tonight. If you've got your Bibles, get them out, get them on. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8. And this is what our key scripture is. And it says, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Do you love God? Say yes. Yes. Well, that means for you that all things work out for the good of those who love God, that all things in the background are working out for you. Now i got my friends passing out some glasses for you guys, and we're going to take a little bit of uh, of what what, uh, disappointment can look like. You can, as you begin to see through the lens or the filter of disappointment, you begin to condition yourself to see that way. Now, disappointment, you can put your glasses on if you got them. Go ahead and put them on. We got a few people that, look at y'all. Y'all looking good. Come on. Amazon didn't tell me that they'd make people look this good. Look, check them out. Look at you. So if you got, as you got these glasses on, what happens is, is literally the light begins to be distorted. And things that aren't there appear as if they are. And, and so what happens is a lot of times that we go through life, viewing life through the lens and the filter of disappointment. Going into things already expecting to be let down, already expecting to be disappointed. And so when the Lord said, he said, hey, look, man, you can't see clearly. 
You, you can't see all that I'm doing because your, your vision, everything that you're seeing is being filtered through the lens of disappointment. And today we want to talk about how we can begin to rid ourselves of that disappointment and how we can begin to see clearly again what the Lord has for us. And so as you begin to see the lights change, there's multiple light bulbs, everybody looks weird. If your spouse looks better with these glasses on, then, then you might want to keep these glasses and you can have them. And, uh, but, but everything begins to change. It's not as easy to see people. Pastor Adam looks a lot younger with these glasses on. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's not as easy to see through the lens of disappointment. There's a lot of distractions that lie there within as you begin to, begin to try to focus on something else, there's something that begins to pop up before that and says, hey, remember, look at me, look at me. And disappointment is a lot like that. Disappointment will come in the moment you begin to try to look at something with a positive outlook. Disappointment will say, hey, remember me? Remember when this happened? Remember when that happened? Remember the last time you did that? Remember they let you down? Remember how disappointed you were? See, when my parents, man, I could take a whooping from my dad. And I, I, I could do that. But when my mom told me, I'm disappointed in you. When you didn't meet my expectation and the hope that I once had for you, you've lost. Disappointment is so powerful that if we don't figure out how to overcome that, we don't figure out how to look past that, then we'll be constantly going round and round, being hurt by people, not trusting people, and, being stay, and staying and being limited to the exact spot that you're in now. So as we look here in 1 Kings chapter 17, we find Elijah the prophet. The guy that called down heaven bears and, and fire tornadoes. We find, we find Elijah for the first time. And, as I, and this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And as I would read this to my kids, uh, Elijah is a Tishbite from the region of Gilead. And, and my kids, I would tell them so they would make them laugh. And, you know, I think the Bible's kind of awesome and funny. I would, I would say that Elijah was a tushy biter. And so they, they, would, they always thought that was kind of funny. He's like, ha, 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 dad, tushy biter. Was he really? He's like, no, he wasn't. But anyways, it's funny to think he was. Right? And so we, we meet Elijah. In the beginning, in verse 1, Elijah is meeting with King Ahab. And the Lord gives Elijah a word to prophesy that no rain will come on the land until at his word directed by God. And so this stands in direct opposition to, where, to, the, to the God that the Israelites had turned to, named the prophet, named Baal. And Baal was a fertility God. And they believed that all things came from Baal that were fertilized things, and water being one of those. So when Elijah called down no rain and he called down a drought, he was standing in direct opposition to the God at the time that Israel believed in. And so the moment that happens, for good reason, God tells Elijah to flee and go to the East, East Kareth Ravine. And there that, that the Lord would take care of Elijah. And as Elijah spends time by that ravine, the Lord supplies all of Elijah's needs through these birds, the, the, the ravens. And the ravens would bring him you know, food in the morning. The Bible says that it would bring bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the, in the afternoon, in the evening. And that there was a brook that supplied all the water that Elijah needed. When, when people are starting to go through a drought and, and, and water's becoming more and more scarce, the Lord is supplying Elijah with what he needs through this ravine and through these, these, uh, these ravens. And I don't, I don't think the ravens brought him fully cooked meals. I don't believe the ravens were picking him up like a number one from Whataburger. And I don't believe that they were bringing him chicken fried steak and mashed potatoes and things like that. I believe they're probably bringing him like jackrabbit and, and stuff that, you know, a cart ran over. And, and maybe it might have been freshly killed. But if I was Elijah and the Lord had supplied all of my needs like that, and, and I prophesied that there would be a drought and then it happened, then I, I think I'd have a little bit more faith for the ravens. I'd be like, hey, look, ravens, come here. We're going to have a meeting. 
you need to find yourself a taqueria. Vamos some elote, bring me some tacos al pastor, bring me some tripas, bring me some fajitas, bro. Come on, this bread isn't cutting it. I need some tortillas, man. And so I figured I would have, I would have at least tried to prophesy to the ravens, bring me something a little better to eat. But, but nonetheless, he was being fed, and, and I wouldn't complain at a meal, especially in this time where famine was happening. And so Elijah spent some time there by the ravine, and, and he bathed occasionally, and he probably stunk. And the Lord says after that, the brook dries up. The Lord tells him, hey, I need you to go find this widow lady. And, and she's been, I've set her up to take care of you. And so I'm sure Elijah was thinking, maybe, maybe this lady is going to be awesome. She's going to be nice. Maybe she's got a nice house. Maybe she's got a pool. Maybe she's got air conditioning. I'm be, I lived in the wilderness for a long time. It's time to be taken care of. Thank you, Lord, for setting me up with this widow lady. And so he, he goes over there and he meets this widow lady. And he meets her, and when he, when he meets her, he says, excuse me, ma'am, can you please bring me some water? And she says, yeah, I'll bring you some water. And, and as she goes to take off, he says, but, but one, one more thing. Can you bring me some bread, too? And she says, what? I'm gathering sticks so that I can make one last meal so my son and I can go and die. And I thought this was funny. I was like, wow, why? This lady was like so pessimistic. You know, I was like, wow, this lady, it, life must be really bad. As you read a little bit and study, the gathering of the sticks meant she was extremely poor, that she had no fuel. She was so poverish that she was gathering sticks to build a little fire in her house. They, they, they would use fuel in that day. And she was gathering these sticks. And, and she had no food left. And she was making one last meal for her and her son. And they, they were going to go cook that. And then from then on, they were going to starve to death. And Elijah tells her with no empathy, no sympathy, nothing. If it was me, I'd be like, oh, shoot. Okay, maybe you're not the widow I'm looking for. Do you know of any other widow ladies in your neighborhood? And, and you know, because obviously you're not the one that said to take care of me. And he tells her, he says, hey, look, yeah, that's fine. Go and do that. But before you do that, make me some bread. And, and I'm like, bro, you're so brash, Elijah. That's crazy. But the Lord was already setting up and doing something. The Lord, as, as she moves, as, as Elijah begins to stay with her, the flour and the oil do not run dry. The Lord begins to tell Elijah, hey, tell her that no matter what, if she takes care of you, that I'll supply all of your needs. In a time where everybody else is struggling, she's prospering because of the man of God that she said, I will take care of. She's got a widow, and she's a widow, and she's got a son. And I'm sure that Elijah helped fix things around the house. I'm pretty sure that he taught the son a little bit of manly things, and they hung out. And this whole time, this lady's seeing people in her neighborhood die. Her neighbor's starving to death. Maybe she was sharing stuff with them. Or maybe this lady through this house was supplying the needs of everybody else. I don't know. But the Bible clearly says that the flour and the oil do not run dry. That this lady is prospering when everybody else is suffering. When Elijah brought that drought down, not only was he bringing it down amongst the pagan people, but on, on top of himself as well. And so the Lord is supplying everything that this lady needs and everything that Elijah needs supernaturally. And so during this time, as, as me and Pastor Adam were talking... I was like, man, if, if I let a prophet of God stay with me, and I have one dollar, and I was like, Lord, look, I'll let this guy live with me. I got a slice of bread left and a dollar, and this guy looks pretty sketch, but I think you set it up. I'll let him live with me. You stay outside, right? And so I'm going to lock the door at night. You stay outside. And so anyway, so, but as I let him live with me, my bank account increased supernaturally. All of a sudden, all my bills are being paid. My light's on. I got food again. All because of this prophet guy, 
I'd be extremely thankful. I'd be so happy. And I would like to say that that would be the case. But this lady, the entire time, this widow lady is looking through the lens of disappointment. She's saying, last time I had a man live, me, live with me, he went off and died. He got cancer and died. And the last time that, 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 that we had someone to eat like this, my gosh, it, it, it ran out. It'll happen again. And the whole time she's viewing the interaction with Elijah through the lens and the filter of disappointment. And we know this is, is true because we see it right here in 1 Kings chapter 17. If you can turn there with me as we read. It says, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. This kid gets sick. It wasn't a sudden thing. He got hit by a, by a car. He got hit by a stampeding camel thing. It, didn't, it, was, it was a process. Little by little, she began to say, and look, yep, told you it would happen. That disappointment, there it is. Yep, see, look, eight months we were fine. Eight months. Yep, I knew something was going to happen. I was looking for it. I knew it was too good to be true, you prophet guy. I knew it was way too good to be true. Come on. And after some time, the son becomes increasingly ill and finally stops breathing. And instead of the lady going up to the prophet and saying, oh my gosh, I know that you supplied all of our needs with the flour, the oil. We live for eight months longer than we would have. Oh my prophet of God, is there anything that your God can do to help my son? Instead of that attitude, she comes at him angry. And this is where we, we see it in verse 18. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? And Elijah says to her, give me your son. He took her from her arms, and he carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and he laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow as I am staying with her, causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out of the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. In verse 22, the Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room and into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. The woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. See, Elijah had supplied her needs through the Lord miraculously. Everything they had and everything they had need of was taken care of. But the moment that the lady had the, the thing that she cared about the most jeopardized, instead of trusting in the Lord, she blamed God for that. Because she began to see through the eyes of disappointment, through the filter of disappointment. She didn't see it for the God that supplied every single one of my needs. She saw it as a God that is out to get me all of a sudden. I've seen it time and time again. It's going to happen to me again, Lord. Look, the moment I begin to trust, the moment I begin to go out and, and out on a limb and trust this person or, or do that and get into that relationship, they're going to leave me high and dry. Look, and so what happens is, is we begin to condition ourselves to see through the lens of disappointment. There's three things that I want you guys writing down that disappointment does. What does disappointment do to us? What does it do? The first thing it does is it causes you to think illogically, irrationally, without any sense. It causes you to think that, that, that everybody's out to get you, that, that, that everybody's scheming to, to get you. They're trying to work one over on you all the time. That's, that's the way you begin to see things through. You don't trust anybody. You don't have any close relationships because everybody wants to get something from me. Everybody's trying to benefit off of you. There was a, there was a, a girl that, that my wife had told me about. As a youth pastor, I studied pop culture and trends and fads and all of those things. 
And when we got back from Costa Rica last week, my wife said, hey, did you hear about the girl on Facebook? And I said, there's a lot of girls on Facebook. She said, oh, did you hear about the little girl that killed herself on, live, on a live feed? I said, what? She's like, yeah, a little girl hung herself live with thousands of people watching it. And it's been shared over a million times. And there's nothing that the authorities can do to take it down because it just keeps popping back up. I said, are you kidding? And I didn't want to watch the video because I don't want my heart to be grieved by that. But as they began to read articles about what this little girl was talking about, she was saying that there was nobody in her life that cared about her. There was nobody in her life that, that, that saw something positive in her. And as I, as I began to, to, to read this and I saw the picture of that little girl, I began to say, surely you had one friend in life that saw something in you. Surely that, that there was at least one youth pastor that reached out to you, invited you to the youth group, that said, hey, look, Jesus loves you. It don't matter if you don't feel like anybody else does. Jesus died for you. Whether you believe in him or not, that doesn't negate the fact that he loves you. As I began to watch that and read that, I began to weep over this little girl. Disappointment had gotten a hold of her. And she began to see illogically and irrationally and ultimately took her own life. At the end of that video, you can hear her parents calling out for her, looking for her. There was a family there. There was people that loved her. But the lens and the filter of disappointment had taken over. And that's what she chose only to see through. The second thing disappointment does is it causes you to miss God's hand of mercy. It'll cause you to miss God's hand of mercy. In the midst of the blessing, the widow couldn't see that. All she kept seeing was eventually something bad's going to happen. Eventually, it's going to run. Instead of living in the blessing and the fullness that it was, where everybody else is dying and everybody else is hurting, I'm prospering. In the midst of everybody else in turmoil, me and my son, we're having the best time we could have. Man, we were looking to die eight months ago. Remember that, Elijah, when you found me gathering those sticks and you rudely asked you to make to bring you some bread? You remember that, Elijah? Yeah, eight months ago. Man, I've had my son an extra eight months. Thank you so much. Your God supplied all my needs. Thank you. In the midst of this, we're looking at that through the lens of disappointment. You'll miss that. And all you begin to see is the negative things. And all you begin to say is, Lord, look, you didn't do this. You didn't meet my expectation. You didn't meet what I had hoped. And the third thing that disappointment does is it conditions you to constantly be disappointed. It trains you to always look to be disappointed. My dad, I love my dad, and we're like best friends, but my dad is a, uh, he's a huge Cowboys fan and, and an even bigger uh, Texas Rangers fan. And so I can't watch the game with him because I don't like the Cowboys, so I'm a Giants fan. And so, so we always, we get, we get contentious like that. And so I know, I know, I don't like the Packers either, man. But uh, anyway, we just lost everybody, Pastor Adam. They're gone. Yeah, spirit and truth, I'm just trying to be truthful. But anyway, he loves the Cowboys and the Rangers, and I'm a huge Rangers fan. I love him so much, and, and I can't watch the game with him because we'll get down and run. He's like, I knew it. I knew it. they were going to blow it. They're losing. I was like, Dad, it's the first inning. <laughs> nope, lost. You know, when we made the, uh, the division series, like, Dad, look, man, we got Holland on the mound today. It's going to be hot. He's like, nope, sucks. I was like, wow, they're going to lose. They'll find a way to blow it. And I'm like, What? But he's the happiest when they win. I'm like, Dad, you're, you were rooting against them a minute ago. How are you so happy this can't happen? And he says, no, because I'll just, if I go into it with no expectation, then I'm 
I'm always, you know, I'm always surprised when they win. It's like, that's terrible, Dad. Be a fan all the time. But, but disappointment will condition you to always look for disappointment. Uh, it, it, you'll use it as a safeguard to never get hurt again, as protection. As the Lord said, hey, look, man, I don't want you looking through that. I want you living in the fullness that is me and the freedom that I am. And so there's three things that I want you guys, if we're going to figure out, we learn what disappointment does. We know what it causes. Now we need to figure out how to change the lens and the filter of disappointment. If we don't, if we don't learn how to figure that out, then we're going to stay exactly where we are, doing the, exactly the same thing, getting exactly the same results. And so we need to change things up. So this is the three things that I want you guys to take away on how we can change the filter of disappointment. The first thing you have to do is you have to let go of the fear filter of disappointment. You have to let it go. For some of you, it's, be, it's just become who you are. It's become your identity. You're that, you're that person. You're that pessimist. You're the one that always saying, it's going to go down. It's going to crash. plane's going to fall out of the sky. Look, I knew it was going to happen. Even as the plane's going down, yep, I knew it was going to happen. This is it. I predicted this, right? But you've got to begin to let go of that fear filter. For some of you, it's in your marriage. You, 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 need, you need to let go of that fear filled, the, the, the disappointment. You need to let that thing go. You're constantly looking for your spouse to mess up. You're setting him or her up for failure. You're not even giving them a fair shake at things. And, and for some of you, you guys need to take, let go of that, that filter of disappointment, and you need to begin to see again through life. You need to see again through the optimism of, hey, look, man, maybe this time, look, I believe it. I'll give it to him. I'll try. For some of you guys, it's in your job. You, 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 the Lord's called you to a place of promotion. But you tried last time, and maybe it wasn't God's season. Maybe it wasn't the timing for you. But you've let that one time since you've been disappointed. You won't let, it, you won't let yourself try again. You won't give yourself another shot at it. Now that you're more mature, you've got some more experience in your body, say, nope, I tried it once, and it, and it only ended in failure. For some of you, it's with a small group at your old church. You said, hey, look, man, I was at an old church, and we tried small groups. It didn't work out. I never answered my phone call. Never, never showed up at my birthdays. Never showed up at, my, at the hospital. Things like that. Well, look, we're all human. Maybe your small group leader was at his birthday party. Maybe your small group was in a hospital. Maybe your small group, was on the, small group leader was on the phone with his small group leader. We don't know, but, but you got to begin to let go of that fear filter or else you'll never, ever have brand new relationships. You'll never have that new promotion. You'll never have that successful marriage. And for, for some of you, maybe it's a healing. Maybe you had, you had cancer and it came back. You say, look, I can't believe again. I'm always just been disappointed. I'm always going to be left disappointed. Lord, say, hey, look, man, you got to begin to change your filter. You got to begin to change that feel, your, feel, your, uh, your disappointment filter. When we first bought our house, I didn't realize that the air conditioner had a filter on it. I just thought it was air conditioned and it felt good. And so, so we had our house, I don't know, four months, five months, and we started getting sick. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, this is gross. And this black stuff every now and then would come shooting out of the, the, the thing. It's like, what is this? So we call, we call the air conditioned people and I was like, hey, look, y'all need to come fix this. Something's wrong with my air conditioning unit. And they come and they, they start doing all the diagnosis things. And the first thing he goes to is the filter. He's like, have you changed the filter? Don't know what it is. And so. <laughs> can't say that I have, you know, and so uh, he's like, come here, let me show you this thing, he said, uh, how long you had the house, I was like, oh, five months, you never changed the filter, not once, and so I was like, I don't even know where it is, and uh, is it it's like a car filter under the house, so I got to climb underneath the house, he's like, no, and so he opens a little door, and he's like, look, right here, and he pulls his filter out, it's so disgusting, oh, it's gross, he's like, I know, you're breathing all this in, I was like, that's nasty, and a lot of times that, that disappointment filter for us is polluting other areas in our life. 
things that it, that, it, that it would never had power over. But you just begin to look through that thing. And so what? That disappointment filter begins to pollute all the other things in your life. The second thing we're going to do if we're going to be overcoming disappointment is you got to encourage yourself sometimes. Sometimes you got to encourage yourself. You got to look at yourself and say, in the mirror and say, self, you fine today. You looking so good, right? You smile real big and like, yeah, you look good. Yesterday as I was Googling this, I was, I was looking up pep talks, self pep talks. And there, if, if you go on Google and you Google self pep talk, there's a pep talk generator. You can go in there and you can click begin, right? So I did it yesterday and said, type in your name. So I typed in my name and I hit enter. And it said, John the Penny is awesome. I said, yes, I am. I hit enter again. John the Penny is beautiful. Yes, I am, right? And so by the end of it, I felt super good. I was like, Myrna, look, come here. Look at this. Google loves me. Look, play it again, right? And so I am awesome. See, I told you, Myrna. Look, I am beautiful. See, I told you, Myrna. Look, and so, and so uh, it was an awesome thing to, to give yourself a pep talk. And sometimes you need that. Overcoming disappointment, your small group leader's not going to be there, your spouse isn't going to be there, your pastor's not going to be there. Sometimes you got to have a moment by yourself where you look at yourself in the face and say, look, disappointment, you're not overcoming me today. Look at me, disappointment, I'm the captain now. You do the whole Captain Phillips thing, disappointment, I'm, I'm, I'm in charge of this ship today. Come on, and, and y'all, as a Holy Ghost spirit-filled Christian, the power of God running through your veins, come on, you have the ability to pep talk yourself. You have the ability to say, look, I'm a co-heir with Christ. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm above and I be, I'm the head and not the tail. And let me tell you something. All of those things, the promises of God are for me, and they are yes and amen. And as you begin to face that disappointment, you got to encourage yourself. David did, and this is what it says in Psalms 42, verse 11. David says this, why my soul are you downcast and why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. David had to take an honest look at himself. He had to take an honest look at himself. Soul, why are you so downcast? Why? Come on, man, do you not know that we believe in the hope of Jesus Christ? Come on, so he had to give himself a pep talk. And that's sometimes what we need, overcoming discouragement, I mean, uh, disappointment. That's exactly what we need is to give ourselves a pep talk. And the third thing that you need to do to overcoming disappointment is you got to find something good in the midst of it all. You got to find something. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's really hard to find something good in the midst of it all. You, you might be, you and your wife are fighting, and there's been times where me and Myrna have been, been at it, and I'm like, Lord, I got to find something good in the midst of it all. At least the car works, right? And so I'm like, that's so good. I'm still breathing, right? She hadn't killed me yet. We're still good, right? All right, we're doing good. And, and so you have to find something good in the midst of it all. Sometimes it's difficult and sometimes it's easy. But all times we've got to try to find something good. If I would have let that, that experience with my dad, when the first time we, we were going fishing out there on that train track, if I would have let that stop me from developing a love for fishing, I wouldn't have one of the greatest relationships that I treasure to this day. My grandfather, he, he, he was a church planner all throughout South Texas and Mexico. He helped start a Bible school there in South Texas, RGBI Bible Institute. He, he helped start these things. He's a man of God, pastored for many, many years. And that, my relationship with my grandfather was, was developed and it was deepened over a love and a bond over fishing. It may sound so silly. But, man, that relationship, man, when I'm going through things, I'm calling my grandpa. Like, and it's, it's getting harder to call him now as he's 91 years old. But I'll call him during the Cowboys games because I know that's exactly what he's doing. I'm like, Grandpa, you watching the game? Yes, mijito, I'll call you back. I was like, okay, cool. But my grandfather's like, he, he's such a good friend. He's a man of God, wisdom. And I would ask him, we'd be sitting on, those, on the boat or on the dock. Like, Grandpa, did you ever feel like quitting the ministry? 
yeah, me too, I did. What got you through? He's like, if the Lord's called you, then the Lord's with you. You just encourage me. Say, Jonathan, it's okay, bud. I say, Grandpa, did you ever have tough times with Grandma? Oh, mijito, yes. How did you get through it? I just always said she was right. And I was like, that's a smart man, Grandpa. I wrote that one down. Grandma's always right. But that relationship with my grandfather is, is I feel a a generational blessing of the Lord through that. As I learned who my grandpa was, just went some old man that liked to fish, as I really just got into who my grandfather was, that relationship has blessed me so much, understanding who I am, where I've come from. But let me tell you some disappointment will rob you of things like that. If you don't look for the good in the midst of things, you'll miss out on relationships, opportunities. Come on, if we go back to our key scripture in Romans 8, that the Lord works out all things for the good of those who love God. The Lord is for you. God is for you and not against you. He only wants to prosper you. But we got to begin to see through His lens and not the lens of disappointment. If everybody would stand across the room this morning as we close out. And bow your heads with me. As we minister to you just for a few more minutes. What a great word. If you just bow your heads with us for just a moment. Pastor Jonathan was just helping us see that some of us, our filters have gotten clogged because of disappointment. So grateful that he didn't stop fishing because of his first fishing trip almost got him killed. Listen, let me tell you something. I'm sorry your first marriage didn't work out, but God wants to heal your second marriage. Don't live in the disappointment. The last time you used to try to serve Jesus, but you went back to those drugs, and now somebody's trying to get you back to the Lord, and you're saying, no, 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 I, it's just, I'm just going to blow it again. Listen, that disappointment does not de- define who you are and who God's trying to be in you. You've got to remove that, that filter. You've got you to take off those glasses. You've got to stop seeing everybody as your enemy. You've got to stop seeing everyone as potential failures in your life. People are going to fail us. That's part of life. I'm going to fail you. You're going to fail me. God is still good and all of that disappointment is working together for the good all of the messiness, all the breakdowns all the foolishnesses, all the things that we did that that we're ashamed of those are all working together for the good that will bring about something magnificent at some stage in your walk as you stand here I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, if you have been disappointed if you've been disappointed in the Lord if you've been disappointed in a relationship and now you're judging everything through those disappointments, I want you right where you stand to ask the Lord for help. I want you right now in the spirit, if you will. I'm not talking about in the natural, but in the spirit. I want you to see yourself taking off those glasses of disappointment by which you view everything. You're waiting. You're waiting for this church to disappoint you like the last church did. Friend, we will do that eventually. You need to get the glasses off. You need to change out the filter. So how, how, can you, how can you like that person? Don't you see what they're about to do? Don't you see their tendency in that other person? See, they don't have that same disappointment filter. They can love them like Christ loves them. But you, on the other hand, are building up bitterness. You, on the other hand, are building up resentment because you're always viewing it through that lens of disappointment of what happened to you when you were 17. What, what 
what didn't happen properly like it should have in your childhood. And it's time here and now before God in the presence of the Lord as the people of God are gathered, hearing the holy word being brought forth to us. Him here in our midst. It's time for you right here where you stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And say, Lord, help me remove the disappointment by which I judge, by which I, by which I think, by which I view everything in this particular area. You may be full of faith and courage and love in one area, but be full of disappointment and filter it all through that in another area. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name you'd heal us. I pray, Lord, right now in Jesus' name you'd cleanse us. Lord, help us change out that filter. Lord, we don't want to breathe that air anymore, Lord God. Lord God, we don't want to see people, Lord God, as, as, as terrible individuals anymore. Lord, we don't want to be like that. We don't want to have unbelief, doubt, daunting us through the night, oh God. We don't want to live our life waiting to die of cancer. We don't want to live our lives. And well, it's always happened in our family. We're always going to be poor. Lord, deliver us from these filters, oh God. Deliver us from disappointment right now. Let faith being infused into those places where disappointment has dominated. Just take a moment right where you're at. Just talk to your God. You'll notice in this church, we don't talk to your God for you. We just lead you up next to him and we step aside and let you have an interaction with your God. We don't force ministry on you. We let you receive it from your own God. We're teaching you how to interact with your own Savior, Jesus Christ. As you're doing that across this room, I want to give a call to those who say, Pastor, let me be honest. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Christian. In fact, I'm pretty sure that I've disappointed the Lord. I grew up in the church, but I went away from the Lord. Maybe you would say, Pastor, I've never been a Christian. I'm not even 100% sure what you guys are doing here today, but I recognize there's some, some deep truth happening here. Well, friend, I would tell you this. Your creator wants a relationship with you. I would explain this to you. That the God who created you, he lost you to sin. He's a holy God. Sin cannot be in his midst. You say, well, how did he lose me to sin? From the beginning, humanity turned their back on God. We rebelled against him. And sin entered into our natural being. And so now we're born with a tendency towards sin. A sin nature. Then we come to the age of accountability where we can make decisions. And we make those decisions towards sin away from God who loved us and developed us and created us. Oh, but God made a way to get back to him. He sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus paid for all of our sin. It was like he put the credit card down and said whatever sin they ever commit from here on out, humanity, I paid for it. All they have to do is come up to the register and apply it to their bill. Today with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not a Christian or you're away from God, I want to lead you into a relationship with him. It's not about good and bad. It's not about how many Hail Marys you said. It's not about how, how many good deeds you've done. It's do you know God? Do you know his son, Jesus Christ? You say, well, how do I do that? You start a relationship today by confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that he is the Christ, surrendering your life to him and saying, God, I don't even know if I know you, but I want to know you, and I surrender my heart to you, and I want to make Jesus your son, my Savior, and my Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if this represents you today, you say, Pastor, I'm away from God, or I've never been a Christian, I want to be one today. Would you pray for me? I will, here and now, and I'll lead you back to the Lord. But you've got to take a step. You've got to take a step. You've got to say, I want it. 
And if that's you today, you say, I want Jesus in my life. With no one looking around, would you just boldly lift your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. Pray for me. I want to be a Christian today. I want Jesus in my life. Quick, Lydia. God bless you. I see that hand. Thank you so much. Who else? Say, pray for me, Pastor. It's time to be right with the Lord. I don't want to live like this anymore. Quickly lift your hand. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Thank you for your honesty. I appreciate your authenticity. Anybody else? Say, pray for me, Pastor. I don't want to live like this another day. It's time for a change. I'm ready to ask Jesus into my life. Make sure I see it. Give you about three seconds, and then we're going to pray and move on. Thank you, sweet love. I saw it. Anybody else? Two seconds. Amen. And all the hands are down. God bless you. I saw those hands. Now I'm going to lead you in prayer, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of coming into relationship with God. There's nothing magical about the words. What was supernatural is you lifted your hand and said, I need God. I'm ready. And this is that moment. I'm going to introduce you through prayer. I want you to repeat this with me and mean it with all of your heart. In fact, I'd like everyone in the congregation to say it out loud with those who lifted their hands. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I surrender my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I declare in front of everybody, Jesus is Lord. And now I make Jesus my Lord. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. And I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed. Father, I thank you right now for every man and woman who prayed that prayer either for the first time or it was a homecoming prayer and they came back to you today. Lord, I pray they would feel your peace right now. They would sense that it's okay, that it's done. Lord, all the thoughts, oh, I'm just going to blow it again. No, 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 no. Because now they're surrendered to you. And it's not by might, nor by their own strength, their own power. But the Spirit of the Lord living and abiding in them now will teach them how to become like Christ. Jesus, be their best friend here and now. They've asked you to be, so be their best friend from here on out. Jesus, we pray right now for joy. Joy down deep in who they are. Lord, like a blanket, a warm blanket on a cold, crazy, freezing night. May they feel your arms around them, covering all their sins. Removing all the shame and the guilt. And Lord, may from this point forward, may they never be the same. Would you reach over and grab that hand of that person next to you? As we go to close out today, I want you to take just another 30 seconds. The person standing next to you, you don't know how they've been disappointed. You don't know who abandoned them when they were children. You have no idea what happened at their last job or at their last church. You have no idea how they tried so hard to keep a marriage together and it still fell apart. You don't know what disappointments are permeating their lives, causing them to struggle to believe in God. This widow has been so broken down that even when the prophet, who's been used by God to feed them miraculously, the, 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 the flowers filling back in the bowl every day, the oil is filling back up every day, but she had been so disappointed and so disappointed year after year after year that the moment that her son got sick and the moment that he stopped breathing, the same God that had sustained her up until this point surely could not heal and bring her son back to life. And the disappointment took over all over again. You have no idea what they've gone through. They sense our joy. They sense our faith. But for them, it's somewhat of a stretch. And they just need a little bit of encouragement before they leave today. So on either side of you, as you begin to pray, pray for the courage of God. Pray for the broken, the broken pieces 
to be welded back and ask God to heal them from the disappointments of life. Would you do that for me for the next just 60 seconds or so? And just let's just pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray as a congregation, as a spiritual family, as men and women that are imperfect, as men and women who just sin daily and just ask for your grace and your mercy. We pray for our brothers and our sisters on either side of us. And we pray, Lord God, that the brokenness of disappointment would no longer have power, power to keep them from destiny, power to keep them, Lord God, from the life that you determined for them, that they wouldn't miss your mercy hand, Lord God, because of the filter of disappointment. They couldn't even see it because they were viewing it all through the, the, through the lens of disappointment, Lord, that even in disappointment, that that is working together for their good. Something supernatural is going to come out of the fact that they got fired. Something supernatural is going to come from the difficulty of going through that divorce. Something unbelievable is going to transpire even through the loss of that loved one because you are good and you work all things for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. So let life and joy and excitement come on us again. And Lord, may we never, ever, ever doubt you for another moment in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted amen and amen.